In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I'd like to welcome you all to our Perseverance Family Conversation. And as always, it's great to be with all of you. We like to invite to be with us. As we start out our conversation, we like to invite to be with us Mary, who is the Mother of God. Mary is also the Mother of the Church. Mary is the mother of each and every one of us. And when we pray to Mary, we also we can call out to her as we do in the Hail Holy Queen. Mary is our our life, our sweetness, and our hope. So together let's pray that prayer that Mary loves most, and that prayer is the Hail Mary. So together, let's pray the Hail Mary and ask her prayers to bless us now and always. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Pray for our sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. I would like to accompany us, our spiritual director. Our spiritual director, my friends, is the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit has many many wonderful titles. Holy Spirit is known as the Paraclete. Holy Spirit is also known as the Gift of Gifts. Holy Spirit is also our Consoler. He's our Consoler and He's also our Counselor. The Holy Spirit is also known as the sanctifier in our pursuit of holiness. The Holy Spirit can help us to grow in a a daily, daily time to grow in holiness before God and man. And also the Holy Spirit is our interior master. He's our teacher. St. Paul reminds us that we really don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with ineffable groans so that we can say, Abba. Abba, which means Daddy or Father. So let's pray the prayer to the Holy Spirit and ask Him to give us a lot of light and the interior fire of love to burn within our hearts as we say. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle within us the fire of your divine love. Send forth your spirit and they shall be created. And thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. 
O God, who did instruct the hearts of your faithful by the lay of the Holy Spirit, grant us that by the same Spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Well, Lady Fatima, pray for us. St. Joseph, pray for us. St. Michael the Archangel, pray for us. St. Gabriel, pray for us. St. Raphael, pray for us. St. Ignatius of Loyola, pray for us. St. John the Baptist, pray for us. St. Maria Faustina Kowalska, pray for us. All God's angels and saints, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. How true the words of Father Patrick Payton, the family that prays together, stays together. The family that prays together stays together. So encouraging all of you, I will pray for all of you in my Mass today. We all know that the Mass is the most powerful prayer in the world. It's the prayer par excellence where Christ is offering himself to God the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit for the sanctification and the salvation of the world. So I'd like to pray for all of you in the holy sacrifice of the Mass and offer these specific intentions for all of you. Starting off related to the Holy Spirit, pray that all of us would be opened and docile toward the Holy Spirit. That we would be open and docile to the Holy Spirit. Our sanctification depends in large part upon being open and docile to the Holy Spirit. Which we can say, come Holy Spirit, come. Come Holy Spirit, come. Through the heart of Mary. Come Holy Spirit, come. Come Holy Spirit, come. Through the heart of Mary. My second intention, I'd like to pray for your families. 
and your loved ones, especially those who who are far away from God now, that through our prayer that they would come back again. So we almost come to the close of this year that we would pray that they would make a New Year's proposal to return to the practice of the faith. I'll place them on the altar that God would enlighten their minds and move their wills to come back to God with all their hearts. Recognize that true happiness can only be found in our relationship to God. My last intention will be I'd like to pray for Pope Benedict XVI whose health is very precarious as well as I'd like to pray for those who today will pass from this life to the next. That's right, that they would... um, that they would uh, open up their hearts to God and be saved. The last moments of our lives, my friends, are very critical. They will determine our destiny for all eternity. Let's pray that those who are close to God and are dying would open up their hearts and beg mercy. Beg God for mercy which is the greatest attribute of the heart of Christ, his divine mercy. So what I'd like to do today, first reading today is taken from Syrac. It's one of the best passages on on the relationship between parents and children and family life. So I'd like to address, first of all, a a question, a moral question that in which there's a lot of confusion. Trying to connect this to the reading of Syrac. And then we have the gospel which St. Joseph gets up and takes Jesus into Egypt because Herod wants to kill the child Jesus. In a certain sense, that is a passage related to the family life also. Because the family is jeopardized, placed in jeopardy. So, first thing I'd like to say, a comment upon is, related to these two topics, is the whole concept of, of what is called an annulment. That's right, concept of an annulment. There's so much confusion on that. Okay, I'd like to just explain what that is. There are couples that are formally married within the church. There's a church wedding, church ceremony, in which the couple, they give each other a ring and they 
promise to be faithful to each other in good times and bad, health and in sickness, riches and poverty, until death do they part. There is the formal act of commitment that the husband gives to the wife and the wife to the husband. And they're married. Now, what is this whole idea of annulment? What is this? What does this whole idea of annulment mean? Well, as it sometimes happens after being married, there's a separation. There's a separation. Now, say John and Mary are married and there is a separation. Until an annulment is acquired, neither of them neither of them can go and establish another relationship with another person. either physical or emotional, because already in the eyes of God, they're still married. They're still married. They're married in the church. They're still married. So, talking about the annulment. When, say for example, Mary applies for an annulment, she go to the church and ask for the priest to go through the whole process of the annulment process. Now, if the if the annulment is granted, there's a lot of paper paperwork that has to be done, a questionnaire that has to be filled filled in. It's a long process. is that if the annulment is granted to Mary, then she would be free to establish another relationship with another man, a courtship, and eventually get married within the church if she's acquired her annulment. What is the annulment? What really is the annulment then? The annulment is really saying this that when they got married, either one of them did not have the sufficient requirements that are required for a man and woman to be married until death do they part. And I'd like to give some examples of what would be an annulment. Okay, the first example would be what is called, it's called a shotgun marriage. Maybe you've heard the terminology, a shotgun marriage.
maybe you thought right away shotgun marriages went in marriage in which they get married really, really quickly without any thought or preparation or it's really not what it means. A shotgun marriage means that say for example John John got Mary pregnant and the father with the shotgun, with the rifle, forced John and Mary to get married. At the end of a shotgun. That's really what it means. So, both of them under duress, or at least one of them under duress, being coerced or forced into marriage. That would be, that would be a cause for, that would be a cause to acquire an annulment. Because you get married, you have to marry freely. Not under duress, much less being coerced. All right. Next one would be, okay, Mary is Mary is pregnant with John. And she marries not because she loves John and with the purpose of being married until death do they part, but to carry up an embarrassing situation that she's pregnant before getting married. That'd be another example. Third example would be the following. That in the interview that they have with the priest, before getting married, the priest asks him, okay, then you are both open. You're both open to life, open to having children. They lie to the priest because they really don't want to have children. Or one of them says, say for example, it's, it's, uh, it's the woman who says to the priest, yes, but really he, she has this mental reservation. No, I don't want children. This would be another cause for annulment because one of the essential elements of the sacrament of marriage is that you have to be open to the possibility of life. Now, if children don't don't come along because of some biological problem, that's another that's another matter. But purposely being closed to the possibility of having life, that'd be another cause for annulment. Another would be this, that entering into marriage with the mentality, I, I will enter in up to a certain point, but when times get tough, I will bail out of the marriage. All right, another cause would be, say for example, John marries Mary, 
and John has a very serious addiction to drugs and drinking. So this serious addiction to drugs and drinking does not allow him to be to be a faithful husband and father. Because of possibly these hidden vices. Another might be this, that John and Mary are married, but John was already married before, but he lied, he lied maybe to the deacon or the priest. Okay, then, the last one I'd like to just uh, explain... It's called lack of discretion. Now, what does this lack of discretion really mean? It really means this. There is a very serious lack of maturity. Intellectually, Emotionally. Now that's the one, lack of discretion is the most subjective one that really has to be studied by canon lawyers. And the questionnaire has to be responded to in utmost, utmost sincerity. So I mentioned some of the key reasons why one can apply for an annulment. Shotgun marriage, marrying under duress, secret vices are not manifest, not being open to having children, already having been married and not revealing this. And the most common would be what is called lack of discretion. Now, if if that disposition is present in one of the one of the uh, persons, the husband or the wife, then they can apply for annulment and possibly receive the annulment. So, really, when we say annulment, it's, the church is really saying that there was no there was no marriage in the first place. There was no, no marriage in the first place. So I thought I would address that, that moral topic because there's, uh, there's much confusion, much confusion on that topic. However, in the interim or the meantime in which they do not have the annulment, then neither John nor Mary can start to date another person and establish another relationship.
because until the annulment is granted, John and Mary, they're still married in the eyes of the church. Even if John travels from California to Massachusetts, he's living thousands of miles away, still in the eyes of God. Still in the eyes of God, he's still, he's still married in the eyes of God. All right. So what I'd like to do now is related to this topic. The first reading is taken from the book of Sirach, chapter 3. It's basically the duties of the children toward the parents. The children are called to respect their parents, to love their parents, to obey their parents to honor their parents, when their parents are up in years, not to abandon them, when the mind of the father and mother has gone, to stay beside the parents in these difficult times. And of course, we have a self-seeking, hedonistic society which tends to push the elderly aside we haven't. We also haven't been being legalized in certain states. The reality of euthanasia, which the elderly are basically put to death because they don't want to confront and accept their declining health as well as their inability to carry out the many functions that they did when they were younger. But I'd like to flip the coin and talk not simply about what are the obligations of the children toward the parents, but what are the obligations of the parents toward the children. So I'd like to flip the coin. Flip the coin, and that would be the fourth commandment. The obligation... The obligation of parents toward children. Let's talk about that. The obligation of the parents toward children. Here we're visiting the whole topic of of uh, the sacrament of matrimony. This has to be said at the very offset of our conversation. First and foremost, John and Mary, even before having their children, should start off with the sacrament with the sacrament of holy matrimony. Sacrament of holy matrimony. 
Unfortunately, unfortunately, it's becoming a modern phenomenon. It's going to be modern plague in which John and Mary are opting, choosing not to get married in the church, even though they are Catholics. They're choosing not to get married in the church. That's what they choose to do. You might call it a trial marriage. You might call it cohabitation. You might call it just living together. Used to be called shacking out. Many different names for for this very prevalent reality. And then John and Mary have children. So by not being married in the church, John married by not being married in the church, there is a very serious problem. By not being married in the church, a very serious problem because they start off by living in the state of fornication, living in the state of sin. That's right. Living in the state of fornication, living in the state of sin. By doing that, they're separating themselves from Christ. John chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the vine and you're the branches. The branch that does not produce fruit will be cut off and thrown into the fire. I've come that you have life and life in abundance. Come that they might have life and life in abundance. So that's the that's that's the foundation of of parents and their obligation to children. They have to start off start off by getting married in the church, having God bless their union. If not, what happens? The children are baptized and then make their first communion, but they don't see their parents. They don't see their parents practicing their faith. Don't see their parents practicing their faith. So that's the that's the foundation, the starting point of parents and their obligation to their children, having their union blessed by holy matrimony. When I do weddings, I'll often say that in the marriage, 
The marriage has to be Christocentric. When I say Christocentric, I say that Christ, the center, Christ the center, he has to be the center of the marriage. That's right. He's the center of the marriage. If he's not the center of the marriage, then it's going to be ego. It will be an egocentric marriage. Marriages have to be Christocentric and not egocentric. Then, once married, as I was mentioning in the whole concept of the annulment. There has to be open to life. That's right. Couple gets married and they're not open to life. That militates against. That militates against the sacrament of matrimony. So a couple has to fight against what is called the it's called it's called by John Paul II it's called the culture of death. Culture of death would be the the abortion mentality as well as the Contraceptive mentality. The abortion mentality as well as the contraceptive mentality. All right. Once accepting the child and the child in... The child, we see child in the... the Bible... Old Testament, New Testament. Child is always seen as a blessing. As a blessing. The times you see in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament, the couple suffers by being childless. Abraham and Sarah, Hannah, John the Baptist, even Mary herself. These are parents who could not have children right away and it was a cause of great suffering for these parents. Cause of great suffering for these parents. So once a couple says yes to the to the child once a child is born the parents should procure the baptism the baptism should be procured 
soon as possible. Not to be putting off baptism for social reasons. This is also the responsibility of the parents to provide and procure the baptism of the child as soon as possible. So what we're doing, my friends, I'm talking about Sirach chapter 3. You have the obligation of the children toward the parents, but also flipping the coin. Our comment is the obligation of the parents toward the children. This is all related to the fourth commandment. Fourth commandment. Honor your father and your mother. But both father and mother have to try to provide a good education and well-being for their children. So, the child should be baptized as soon as possible. I strongly recommend that when Mary is pregnant, seven, eight months, she should go with her husband and already fill in the forms and do the baptismal talks so that the child can be baptized as soon as possible, within the first few weeks. Now, a couple weeks ago, I mentioned the whole concept of padrinos because there's a lot of confusion. A lot of confusion as to what are the what are the requirements that the church demands for padrinos or godparents. Well, first is they have to be Catholics. Sometimes it happens that in the baptismal talk the parents will bring in godparents that they want to be godparents, but they're not even Catholics. No, they have to be Catholics. And also canon law, we're talking about the, the godparents, or in Spanish is padrinos, They have to be 16 years of age. Also, godparents should have received what are called the sacraments of initiation. That's right, the sacraments of initiation. When I say that, Now Martha is asking, would that invalidate the baptism? But the parents are not married in the church. No, still the baptism would be valid. But the godparents should be Catholics. They should be 16 years of age. They should have received the sacraments of initiation, which means baptism, communion, as well as confirmation. And also, you want to have godparents. 
You want to have godparents that are practicing their faith. Not simply nominal Catholics that are baptized, communion, confirmation, but they never go to church. They never go to confession. They don't receive communion. They don't pray. Those are type of godparents that you don't want. You want godparents that are going to be giving good example. Two of the principal requirements of good godparents should be their, well, I would say three, practicing their faith, giving good example to the child, and praying for the child. I repeat, those are three elements of being good godparents. That they're They've received the sacraments of initiation. They're practicing their faith, trying to give good example, and also to, to pray. They should pray for their for their godchildren. And then in the ceremony of baptism, this is not obligatory, but I always do it. And it's a good idea to to consecrate the, consecrate the children to Mary. So at the end of the ceremony of baptism, what I do is I bring I bring the child to the statue of the Blessed Mother with the parents and the godparents, and I pray to Mary, usually the Hail Mary. I usually pray the Hail Mary and offer that child to God through Mary. That's right. So those are those are some conditions that parents should have. We're talking, my friends, about Syrac chapter three. It's one of the best chapters in the Bible on the fourth commandment, the obligation of the children toward the parents. And I'm flipping the coin. What are the obligations of the parents toward the children? Let's move on. Let's move on. Now, parents. Parents. The parents of the children. Of the, of the children are the principal teachers. That's right. The parents are the principal teachers. I've got some spelling mistakes there, but parents are the principal teachers in many areas, but especially in the way in the ways of faith. Now, with respect to the principal teachers of the children, <coughs> parents. <coughs> Parents should teach their children 
parents should teach their children the importance of prayer. That's right, the importance of prayer. And with respect to prayer, I would highlight three different aspects with respect to, with respect to prayer. To pray for the children, to pray with the children, and then they would also say, this is very important, to teach the children to pray. So I put down three different categories. The parents are the first teachers of the children. Pray for the children, pray with the children, and teach them how to pray. How very, how very important that is. Now, I vaguely remember this because it's been many, many, many years ago. But my parents, my parents would pray, pray they would pray with us before going to bed. How was this done? Well, before going to bed, we'd kneel down, right uh, in front of the bed, and we would make the sign of the cross, pray the Our Father, Hail Mary, Glory Be, and then the prayer to the guardian angel. Then into bed. But the key that was very important is that one night mom would pray, then another night dad would pray, and they would alternate. And I think that's a very important point. Having the mother pray one night, and then having the father pray the other night. In all too many cases, you have the mother praying with the children, teaching them to pray. But the father is absent. That's right. We're praying. You see only the mother praying. But the father is absent. One of the best stories I've ever heard was this boy who lost his mother when he was only about nine years of age. And he shared the room with his father. He sometimes wake up in the wee hours of the night, maybe 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock, and he would see his father kneeling down praying fervently. 
in the moonlight. That little boy would go on to be called, his name was Karol Wojtyla, we call him now St. Pope John Paul II. St. Pope John Paul II saw his father on his knees praying in the wee hours of the night. And he never forgot that. The good example that his father gave to him. He'd go on to become one of the greatest popes in the history of the Catholic Church. The Papa, the, the Holy Father, John Paul II. His parents we're talking about Syrac chapter chapter three. Parents pray for your children. Parents pray with your children. Parents teach your children how to pray. I repeat, parents pray for your children, pray with your children, and teach your children. How to pray. I'm going to mention another thing that's important in the formation of children. When my father was still living, he died about six years ago. Remember once he said that when he was growing up, his favorite picture, his favorite uh religious picture that I think he had on his wall when he was a child or he said that this was his favorite picture was a picture of the guardian angel. Maybe some of you remember the picture of the guardian angel. And it's a classical picture where you have a little child that's maybe three years old who's crossing a bridge. Below the bridge, there's a rushing stream. But on that bridge, and the child is not aware of it. It's made of wood, wood planks. Wood planks on which one crosses over by stepping firmly on the wood planks. There is a wood plank that's missing. Now, if the child not being aware, steps where that wood plank is missing, he's going to fall through the bridge, plunge into the rushing stream, be engulfed by the impetuous waters, and drown. But what you see in that picture my dad said it was his favorite. 
is behind that little child is an angel hovering over the angel, <coughs> covering the angel, <coughs> are the wings of the angel. It's a great picture. You know, a picture is worth more than a thousand words, how true that is. But today more than ever, my friends, we live in a world of images. Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, all these modern platforms which are related to the power of the image. The power of the image. So we have to, as good parents, as good parents, you should strive as good parents to provide your children with good images. You notice on my in my studio wall right here, you can see it. There's the image of Our Lady Guadalupe. Then you have Saint Margaret Mariella Cook. Then above that you have a painting of Our Lady of Fatima. The other side of the wall in my studio you have Saint Joseph the Carpenter with the Child Jesus. Then a Above that you see an image of the Sacred Heart and then there's a statue of the Jesus the Good Shepherd. So in my studio that you're always exposed to when I'm giving my talk in the background, you're always exposed to this, this really good artwork. Always right behind me I have this beautiful image that a man, one of my friends brought me this image of Our Lady Guadalupe from Mexico. I thought I'd put it in my studio so that when I'm giving my my daily perseverance conversation with all of you, have Our Lady that's what looking over my shoulder and looking at you. So, my friends, uh, we've had a we've had a very good very good conversation today and the conversation is related to the the first reading and the gospel reading too because the gospel reading is when King Herod wants to kill the child Jesus to destroy the family he wants to destroy the child Jesus and destroy the holy family and Joseph gets up takes the child Jesus with his mother Mary, and they flee into Egypt, thereby saving the child, saving the family. So, both the first reading, which is the reading from Sirach chapter 3, uh, as well as the gospel reading, are related to are related to the family. And I gave you a 
very clear explanation of the whole idea of what an annulment is. You see, all of what we're talking about today, my friends, is related to the reality of the family, the safeguard of the family, the importance of the husband and the wife, the marital bond, all that's related to the family. Because the family is the foundation of society. It's the domestic church. John Paul II will go on to say, the way the family goes is the way that the society goes. Healthy families will form healthy societies. So I'd like, my friends, to do this. I'd like to end by saying a prayer to the Holy Family. As we say, Jesus, Mary and Joseph, I give you my heart and my soul. Jesus, Mary and Joseph, make my heart like unto yours. Jesus, Mary and Joseph, Assist me in my last agony. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, I breathe forth my soul unto thee. O sacrament most holy, O sacrament divine, all praise and all thanksgiving be every moment thine. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.